Psalm 63 is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And David said, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. This is the God we've come to worship today. Let's do that together. Before we do that, let's um, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Me. 
risen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free. Oh, it's free. to your name. 
Open up my heart to you 
appointed. Now is the time in the service for communion. If you are a baptized believer in Christ, then we invite you to into join in breaking bread with us. Today I want to look at Hebrews 9, 18 through 22, and the scripture will be on the TV. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the, both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled, the blood, uh, sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels in the ministry. And according to the law, and all, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That last line that I read, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. We are told that we must examine ourselves and make sure our lives line up with the Word of God before we partake of communion. If not, then we must repent. When we take communion and drink the juice, which represents Christ's blood, we are receiving forgiveness for the sins that we have committed and for deviating from the narrow road. By eating the wafer, which symbolizes the blood, I'm sorry, the body of Christ, we are sealing God's covenant with us that through Christ, if we repent and turn from our sins and seek forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us here today. As we start to partake of this communion, please let us not forget the importance. Help us to remember the covenant you have made with us. Search us, God, and if we, if we have fallen short of your laws, then show us and allow us to repent. Bless this communion as we enter into a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
looking for an on-off switch. <laughs> now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, as always, we are collecting pill bottles, um, empty pill bottles for Matthew 25 Ministries. Out in the foyer, there's a um, collection container, as well as for used ink cartridges um, to reduce costs for office supplies. Food pantry closed closet every Thursday, 5 to 7, and the first Saturday of the month from 10 until noon. I'm going to tag on to this by saying, um, out in the, in the foyer, we have these bags as well as these water bottles. Um, these are what we packed for blessing bags. You are welcome to take some of these with you to have in your car. If you see someone who's just walking, if you see someone standing at a bus stop, if you just happen to see someone you want to give something to, these are not just for people who are homeless, which you may have recognized they've been used for in the past. These could just be something to brighten someone's day. The one thing I just recognized we didn't put in these are information about our church, which is not always why we give these things out. But if someone is looking to have information about um, getting connected to a church or hearing more about the word, we usually add a Bible or a card so they have a contact name or number. So that is something you can add. But feel free to take these. We, de- we, ha- we don't have a date um, to actually pass these out yet um, as a church in the community, but feel free to take some of those if you want on your way out just to have in your car. There are some food items in there. Otherwise, there's some like hygiene products, things like that. Women's Bible study, empty nesters, going through the book of Galatians um, starting on March 3rd. They will start that back up on Thursdays at 10 a.m. It will be at Ruth Liming's house. Sharon Ponchot is the contact, and I think today is the last day if you would like to order a book. There's no charge for the book, so if you want to order a book, see Sharon today. Thursdays, uh, sorry, Tuesday and Thursday, we have ReFit. Um, It's a free ladies dance fitness class, 6.30 to 7.30, and then we have a uh, great devotion afterwards. So it's a good time for ladies to come out, um, move their bodies, and uh, just be together. Family appetizer and game night is Friday, February 18th at 6.30. This will be the first one we've done, I think, ever, or at least in a long time. So um, we do have some new families. Um, We have some families that really haven't gotten really to be able to get to know because of COVID, um, or at least get caught up to. So please join us February 18th at 6.30. We do have a sign-up out there, so we kind of know that you're coming. Tithes and offerings. There's an offering box in the back of the sanctuary right back there underneath that big TV and clock. Sorry, I will just add, um, we don't really get into a lot of the the smaller holidays kind of stuff here, but I thought it'd be nice um, with COVID just to kind of spruce it up with Valentine's stuff. So if you want cookies, there's punch. Um, We do have the hearts outside on the table. If you want to write prayer requests, we can load up that back window with those. Um, and then if you want a picture at all, there's a backdrop back there just to, just to have a little fun with our church family. So please do that. And what else was I going to say? Hopefully we don't have any other snow. But one thing I don't think we've said, it is on the website, but if you haven't been to our website, if we do have a snow closure or any kind of closure, say like the electric's off or there's no water, which I don't think we would close for those reasons, but mainly snow, and we can't get up the hill. Channel 19 is where you would see the closure of the church. Okay, so that's where it would be. Thank you.
All right, let's jump right into it. Let's uh, turn together in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. And when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is Rejoice Through Trials. Rejoice Through Trials. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, the Scripture says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. When God's people face trials of various kinds, trials where we're torn by temptations, trials that test our faith, well, do those trials mean that God has forsaken us? Do those trials mean that God does not love us or that God does not care about us? You know, the scriptures say a lot about trials for followers of Christ. In today's passage, Peter, who was a faithful follower of Christ, he was a man who was no stranger to trials that tempted him and tested his faith. Well, Peter teaches us three truths about trials. And by learning and living out these truths, we'll all learn to rejoice through trials. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We ask you to speak to us through your word. Give me clarity of speech, clarity of thoughts. Give each of us ears to hear and give us all grace to practice the truths that we find in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first truth Peter teaches us about trials is trials are a part of life. Notice Peter starts verse 6 with the words, In all, the, all this you greatly rejoice. Now what was Peter's audience rejoicing in? And what should we who follow Christ, what should we rejoice in? Well, Peter's pointing back to, the, to everything he just said about the new birth. We should rejoice in the hope, in the inheritance, and in the salvation our God and Father offers us through the new birth. You know, Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. Because through the new birth, God gives us these profound promises. Through the new birth, we've escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Through the new birth, we share in the divine nature and are becoming like God. Through the new birth, we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us. Through the new birth, we have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of the resurrection and the hope of eternal glory in the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells where sickness and sin and death and sorrow are no more, and where we'll all see Jesus as he is because we'll be like him. So because of what God has done, is doing, and will do in us and through us who are born again, we should all rejoice. But this rejoicing is not because we've got it so great in this present life. Notice what Peter says at the end of uh, 1 Peter 1.6. He says, we rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
Our joy as Christians is not based on having our best life now, no matter what Joel Osteen tells you. Our joy is not based on having all of our wants and our desires fulfilled in this world. No, our joy is based on the hope of the future salvation that we have in Christ in the world to come. Peter reminds us right now, in the present world, at various times and in various ways, we will suffer grief in various trials. Now, some translations like the NIV have Peter saying, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Other translations, like the Christian Standard Bible, have Peter saying, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Now, these translations make it seem as if Peter were saying trials may or may not come to those who follow Christ. As if some followers of Christ suffer grief through various trials and others don't. But I'm convinced Peter's Greek is better translated by the New Living Translation, which says, you must endure many trials. In other words, Peter's saying trials are a certainty for everyone who follows Christ in this world. At various times and in various ways, we will suffer grief in various trials. And we must endure those trials. Paul and Barnabas said the same thing to Christ's disciples as we read in Acts 14.22. He said we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through, we must endure many hardships, many trials to enter the kingdom of God. When we follow Jesus, we need to expect that at various times, various trials will come into our lives. These trials are just a normal part of the Christian life. So we should not be surprised by our trials. And we should not let those trials discourage us. Instead, we should do what Peter says. When we find that we face trials of various kinds... We should rejoice. Now, rejoicing through trials does not mean we pretend like our trials are enjoyable. Now, Peter acknowledges that we suffer grief in our trials. So Peter's not saying to put on a plastic smile and pretend like your trials are enjoyable. Peter is saying, even when trials bring grief and suffering into our lives, we who follow Jesus can still greatly rejoice. And we do that by making a choice. Rejoicing through trials is all about what we choose to focus on during those trials. Do we choose to focus on our trials and get down in the dumps and throw a pity party for ourselves and then invite others to join our pity party as we complain about how bad we've got it? Or do we choose to focus on the Lord and the outcome of those trials? So when we choose to focus on the Lord and the outcome of our trials, then it's easier to make another choice. We can then choose to praise the Lord through our trials. We can choose to be joyful in the Lord. We can choose to express the joy that the Holy Spirit produces within us. We can choose to be like David, who says in Psalm 42, 5, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him my Savior, and my God. David was going through some tough times here when he wrote this, when he wrote this song. No matter the trial, no matter the grief, no matter the trouble, like David, through an act of our will, we can choose to say, I will still praise him, my Savior, and my God. So let's remember, trials are a part of the Christian life, or part of life. 
And let's choose to rejoice through those trials by focusing on the Lord and focusing on the outcome of our trials. Let's also remember a second truth about trials. Trials are passing. Trials are passing. In 1 Peter 1.6, Peter reminds us, though trials are a part of life, our trials are only for a little while. And though it may not seem like it when we're in the middle of trials that tempt us and test our faith, though it may, may not seem like it when we're suffering grief in various trials, but we've got to remember our trials will not last forever. Our trials are only for a little while. Peter assures us of this truth again in 1 Peter 5.10. Peter says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God has a word for every one of us today. No matter what trial you're facing right now, don't get discouraged. It's only for a little while. No matter how strong the temptation to sin may be right now, don't give in. It's only for a little while. No matter how badly your faith is being tested right now, don't give up. It's only for a little while. Let's hold on to this promise through every trial that we face. After you have suffered for a little while... God himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Let's all believe that promise. And let's also believe this promise that God spoke through Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Paul says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So though we will suffer grief through all kinds of trials in this life, we can greatly rejoice because our trials are only momentary. And remember, we're viewing this in light of eternity. What we, fa- what we face in this life is, is just a little blip on the screen of eternity. It's momentary. And those momentary trials will achieve for us something far greater. Our momentary trials achieve for us a glorious and eternal blessing being stored up for us in heaven. And that brings us to the third truth Peter teaches us about trials. Trials have a purpose. You know, I think Christians spend far too much time trying to figure out where our trials come from. So we want to know where our trials come from so we know who to blame for our suffering. Right? Is it God that we blame? Is it Satan that we blame? Is it somebody else? Is it, you know, whatever it is. But we should remember, although all trials do not come directly from God, every trial that you and I go through are trial, trials that God allows. We've got to remember God is sovereign. And God sovereignly allows all of us, all the trials that come into our lives. You know, some of our trials are sent by God. You read the scriptures, you see it over and over again. Some of our trials are sent by God. Other trials are sent by Satan. And still other trials are just a consequence of living in a sinful world that's fallen. So instead of asking, who do we blame for our trials? The better question is, why does God allow trials into our lives? Peter answers that question in 1 Peter 1.7. Peter says, these, he's talking about these trials, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, the word proven in this context has to do with testing. Peter's saying one reason that God allows trials into our lives is to test and purify our faith. In other words, one of God's purposes for allowing trials in our lives is trials perfect 
our faith. Trials perfect our faith. Just like gold is tested and purified by the refining fire, just like the refining fire removes all impurities from gold, in the same way our faith is purified and perfected through the fire. And the fires that purify and perfect our faith are the fiery trials that tempt us and test our faith. God perfects our faith through the countless ways we suffer grief in various trials. James teaches the same truth in uh, James 1, 2 through 4. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James, like Peter, encourages us to rejoice, to consider it pure joy when we face many kinds of trials. And that advice just seems like pure insanity if we view it through fleshly eyes. Nobody wants to suffer, right? Nobody wants to suffer. But if we look at it through spiritual eyes, we realize we should rejoice when we face trials of many kinds because God uses our trials to perfect our faith. The testing of our faith produces perseverance. Our faith gets stronger as we endure various trials. And as we continue to endure the trials that test our faith, our faith will become mature and complete. Our faith will be perfected. So God uses trials to test our faith to teach us perseverance. And as we persevere through our trials, our faith will be perfected. God works through our trials to perfect our faith. Now, what if we changed our perspective about trials and suffering? What if we truly started to believe what Paul says in Romans 8, 28? We know that, God, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who, are, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice those words, in all things things, God works for the good of those who love him. This means that God uses the things that we only see as bad, the various trials we go through, things that cause us grief, things like bad health, loss of loved ones, temptation, tribulation, persecution. God is at work in all those things for our good. God uses all things to to perfect our faith. In this world, we will face fiery trials. And at times, those trials can burn so badly and cause such great grief that we begin to ask, where is God in all of this? Let's remind ourselves, as Paul tells us, God is right in the center of all this. God is at work in all things for our good. So don't despair. Hold on through the trials. Keep following Jesus. God will use those trials to strengthen, purify, and perfect your faith. And Peter goes on to tell us there are at least two results of a perfected faith. First, the perfected faith brings glory to God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7, Peter says, The proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So after our faith is tested, purified, and perfected through the trials that we endure, when we stand with Christ in glory at his second coming, then we'll give all the praise, all the honor, all the glory to our God because our God and Father is the source of our salvation. God the Father is the one who caused us to be born again. 
God the Father is the one who, through his great mercy, gave us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God the Father is the one who is preserving an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance for us all in heaven. And God the Father is the one who guards the faithful by his tremendous power until our final salvation is brought to us through God's grace when Christ is revealed in glory. So at Christ's second coming, we'll see the first result of a perfected faith. It brings glory to our God. I mean, obviously we're bringing glory to God now too, but we're talking about what's going on and that's what Peter's focused on. And when Jesus comes again, we'll also see the second result of a perfected faith. A perfected faith brings salvation to our souls. In 1 Peter 1.8, Peter says this about Jesus. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now here Peter's talking about an ongoing love-faith relationship with the Lord Jesus. The two verbs here, love and believe, are in the present tense in Greek, and they show a continuous action. So what Peter's saying is, you are continuously loving Jesus, you are continuously believing in Jesus. It's not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing. The essence of Christianity is an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And by the way, that's the essence of the gospel as well. That's the gospel we need to preach to the world. The gospel is, come and follow Jesus. Come become a part of his kingdom. Obey him. He'll give you eternal life. He'll do all these things for you. That's the essence of it through your relationship with Jesus. The essence of the Christian life is an ongoing relationship with Jesus. A relationship where we keep on loving Jesus and we keep on believing in Jesus. And that brings up an important question. It's all about loving Jesus, keeping on loving Jesus. What does it mean to keep on loving Jesus? There's a lot of people that think they know what it means to love God, to love Jesus. Jesus answers this question for us in John 14, 15. We don't have to guess what it means to love Jesus. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To those who love Jesus, keep his commandments. There's another place I think John wrote in 1 John. He said something like, maybe even Jesus said it right after this, if you don't love me, you won't, you won't keep my commandments. So it's, it goes both ways. Those who love Jesus keep his commandments. And in John 14, 21, Jesus goes on to say this. The one having my commandments and keeping them, that one is the one loving me. And the one loving me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Jumping down to verse 23, Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So those who have Jesus' commandments and are keeping them, these are the ones who love Jesus. That's Jesus' definition. To love Jesus is to keep on obeying his teachings. And in these verses, Jesus says something about his love and the Father's love that may sound shocking to us. Those words sound shocking because for many years, we've all been told that God's love, God loves everyone the same. God loves everyone the same. Now, it is true that God loves everyone, even his enemies, in some sense. And God shows that love to everyone by causing the sun to rise on the evil and the good, by sending rain on the just and the unjust. And this is the merciful love of God, a love that God shows to all by doing good to everyone, a love that's meant to lead people to turn from their sinful lives and turn to him. God does good to try to get people to turn their lives over to him. But we see that Jesus talks about another love, or another form of God's love. Jesus says, 
those who have his commandments and obey his commandments will be loved by both Jesus and his Father. Now, those are Jesus' words. I didn't make those words up. That's what Jesus said. You, you have my commandments, you keep them, you'll be loved by me and my Father. And Jesus here is talking about the covenant love, the salvific relationship he and his Father have with those who are part of his family. Those who are part of his family are those who trust and obey Jesus. So contrary to popular belief, the truth is, the Lord Jesus and his Father do not love everyone the same. And I know that sounds like heresy in this lovey-dovey culture that we live in. It's not heresy. It's the scripture teaching. They don't love everybody the same. Jesus and his Father have a special love for those who accept Jesus as Lord, turn from their sinful lives, become children of God through the new birth, and keep loving Jesus by obeying his commandments. Jesus and his Father, as Jesus says, will make their home with those who love Jesus by obeying his commandments. Look at it this way. Now, we, have, we all have a different love for strangers than we do for members of our family, right? You know, I can love strangers by doing good to them. But I have a different relationship with the people in my family. My, my, my kids and my wife, we have a different relationship. We share something that I don't share with strangers. I share benefits with my family that I do not share with strangers. And I have a different kind of love for my family. See, we share covenant love as we're, as we're part of a family. And that's the kind of love Jesus and his Father invite the world to experience. God wants us all to move past the place where we're only experiencing the merciful love of God as strangers and to come into the place where we experience the covenant love of Jesus and his Father by becoming a part of their family. And this is why if you and I are going to go tell sinners that God loves them, we had better qualify it. God shows you his love by doing these good things for you, but he wants you to turn from your sin so you'll become a part of his family, right? So we become a part of God's family by turning from our sins, being baptized into Christ, and loving Jesus by obeying his commandments. So that's the true gospel. That's what the gospel is. And Peter says those who love Jesus in this way are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. See, when we walk in an obedient love-faith relationship with Jesus, God lives with us and gives us the grace of an indescribable joy even through the most terrible trials. You know, from an earthly perspective, no one can explain why followers of Christ can endure some of the toughest trials, some of the most severe suffering, and still rejoice through it. How is it that from the earliest times, men and women of God have rejoiced through sickness, famine, and poverty? Rejoice through prison, beatings, crucifixions, and tortures. How is it that men and women of God have rejoiced while being stoned to death, burned at the stake, boiled in oil, gored to death by bulls, fed to lions, used as torches to light up gardens? How could so many endure so much hostility from sinners and still rejoice in the Lord? Well, the only explanation is their love-faith relationship with the Lord Jesus. See, they believe Jesus is the Lord. So they obey the Lord Jesus. They have the commandments of Jesus and they obey them. And as promised, Jesus and his Father come and make their home with them. And Jesus and his Father go with them through trials and give them the grace, the power to rejoice through those trials. Now we've got a great cloud of witnesses. A bunch of people who've gone before us, saints who've gone before us, who loved, believed in, and obeyed Jesus before we did. 
And we all should follow in their footsteps. And we follow in their steps, or when we follow in their footsteps, the Lord Jesus and his Father will come and live with us. And they'll give us the grace to rejoice through all of our present trials. And they'll also give us the grace to focus on the hope that we have for the future. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1.9, You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We've got to remember this. The end result of every trial we face in the, in, in the world and the end result of our faith being purified and perfected by those trials is the salvation of our souls. And here Peter's talking about the salvation of our entire being. See, we can rejoice through our trials when we remember that if we'll just hold on, if we'll just stay faithful to Jesus, well, then every part of us will be saved. Every trace of corruption every stain of sin, the sting and the stench of death will all be removed from us and from this world when Christ comes again. You know, one day all the trials, the temptations, the suffering and the grief we've endured in this world will seem like absolutely nothing compared to the glory that that will be revealed in us. As Paul says in Romans 8, 18 through 21. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There's so much in those verses that we need to to, to get a hold of and start to live our lives based on these things. The glory Paul writes about is the eternal glory of of the new creation in Christ. It includes the hope of eternal life, the hope of the resurrection, and the hope of the salvation of our souls when Christ comes again. When Christ comes again, the entire creation is set free from decay and brought into into the glory of God's children in the new heavens and the new earth. And I'm not preaching a bunch of eschatology. I know there's things that happen between then. We're talking about the final thing, right? The final thing. See, we can rejoice through any trial, any temptation, any suffering we face in this world when we look at everything through the lens of the life to come. So let's keep looking forward to our final salvation. Let's keep our focus on the end result of our trials that perfect our faith. Let's remember that we're in the process of receiving what will be completed when Christ is revealed. We're being saved, right? We're being conformed to the image of Christ. And if we keep on going, if we keep loving Jesus, if we keep obeying Jesus until our faith is perfected, well, the end result will be the salvation of our souls. And that's a reason to rejoice through trials. So as we close, let's remember these three truths about trials. Trials are a part of life. So we should all expect them, welcome them, and even rejoice when they come. Trials are passing. Whatever grief we suffer through trials is only for a little while. So don't get discouraged, don't give in, don't give up, because all trials have a purpose. God uses all of our trials for our good. Trials perfect our faith. And two results of a perfected faith, our perfected faith brings glory to to our God, and a perfected faith brings salvation to our souls. So when we live in light of all those truths, we'll keep our eyes toward heaven. We'll keep our eyes on the prize and we'll rejoice through all of our trials.
Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for our hope and the inheritance and in the salvation you offer us through the new birth. Thank you for using everything in this world, including our trials, to purify and perfect our faith. Would help us to always love the Lord Jesus by being obedient to his commandments and help us keep our eyes focused on your glory and the salvation of our souls. Today and, 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 today and always, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, before I speak the Lord's blessing, I want to just tell you all, if you need prayer about anything, you want to know how to know the Lord, how to become a part of his family, things that I was talking about today, uh, the elders and deacons will be up here after service. You're welcome to come forward. If you're sick or anything like that, you want, to, you want us to anoint you with oil and pray over you, we'll do that as well. So I'll speak the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we love y'all. We'll see you next week. Hootie!